May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, folks, I love, absolutely love, the setup for this morning's gospel. Think about this. For the past several months, we've learned that Jesus really irritates people of power and influence, especially religious leaders like the Pharisees. He hangs out with disreputable folks like tax collectors and whores. A simple carpenter from a backwater town, he has the audacity to walk into the temple in Jerusalem, claim the pulpit, and reinterpret scripture to the very scholars of scripture and even asserts his oneness with God as he walks and preaches throughout Galilee. Dear friends, this guy's got this fun. <laughs> but you know what really torqued the Pharisees? What really got under their skin was Jesus' seeming disrespect for the sacredness of Sabbath. With his disciples, he harvests grain on the Sabbath. He heals people on the Sabbath. And he travels about on the Sabbath, all violations of Jewish law. So this morning, as our text opens, Luke tells us that Jesus was invited to join a Pharisee for dinner on the Sabbath. And no doubt people were watching really closely. What, pray tell, was Jesus going to pull off this time? Would Jesus again shake things up? How would he aggravate religious leaders on this Sabbath day? Scripture doesn't tell us, and who knows what, if anything, Jesus had on his mind or up his sleeve as he entered the Pharisee's home. Most likely, he was just hungry, looking forward to a good meal and an opportunity to engage a learned man, a Pharisee, in dialogue in a theological conversation. However, as he entered the house, Jesus was struck by the way the guests had seated themselves, each trying to outdo one another, get the best seat, sit closest to the host. Never one to pass up a teaching moment, Jesus shares a parable about the guests invited to a wedding feast and the host's reaction to their attempts to jockey for positions of prominence. There's not much left to our imaginations in this particular parable. Those who are presumed to be of high rank were soon asked to step aside and make way for those of even greater prestige, while those in the back were invited closer to the table. And just in case the audience didn't quite get the message, Jesus reminds them of the virtue of humility and the embarrassing consequences of presumption and arrogance. Now the humiliation of those who were asked to step down must have been as painful as it was joyful for the guests who were elevated by their host. However, Jesus was not intent on mocking them or inflicting any more emotional pain or public embarrassment. No, on this particular Sabbath, he chose the occasion to draw a clear distinction between 
conventional order, the way the world in which we live works, and the order of the kingdom of God. In the broader expanse of the new world order inaugurated by Jesus' own life and his ministry, in the kingdom of God, what matters most is not our sense of self-importance or even what others think about you and me. What really matters is the action of the host, what God thinks about us. And unlike the world of our workplaces, our schools, even our churches, this assessment, God's thinking about us, has nothing whatsoever to do with our family of origin, our professional accomplishments and resume, our race, or our social standing. To make this point, Jesus turned his attention from the arrogance of the guests to the expectations he had for the host. He chided him, not so much because he invited his wealthy friends and relatives to the banquet, but because he did so with the expectation that he would be repaid in kind. Jesus urged him in the future to invite people who can do nothing, who owe him nothing, who are of no value to him. He asked them to invite the blind, the lame, the crippled, the poor. Not only would this be an act of incredible grace and hospitality, it would require that the host empty himself of all pretensions, of all fake belief, and simply extend the welcome to his house and to his table to those who can't advance his career or elevate his standing in the community. Well, my guess is, dear friends, like most of you, since I was a child, I've heard this parable interpreted in the context of the guests. And in that context, it does force us to confront our own hubris, our self-perceived status, our sense of importance, it demands the, of us that we examine the lengths to which we'll go in our personal quest for power, for prestige, or control. And it calls us to account for the manipulation of the most vulnerable among us as each of us tries to claw our way to the top. Now to be sure, the parable can be understood this way and in doing so, it's a powerful reminder of the sheer folly of self-aggrandizement. It's also an indictment of social, economic, and political class distinctions that fracture the world in which we inhabit. And it shames us. It shames us for our incredible, unmitigated self-absorption. It's a parable that reminds us it really ain't about you. Yet especially, friends, in this season of Pentecost, 
when green adores our sanctuary. This time when our attention is drawn into the life of the kingdom of God. It seems every bit as appropriate to understand this parable as also a commentary on the banquet and the host. That Jesus would choose the gathering of wedding guests around a table to punctuate Christian imperatives for both radical hospitality and gracious humility is in fact at the core of our faith, of our theology, and of our worship. Fundamentally, that's why we're here today. Not just to sing, not just to pray, and Lord knows not to hear another sermon. That was a laugh line. (laughs) We're here this morning. Why? Because God invited us, you and me, to a banquet, to a Eucharistic feast. Every one of us is welcome at this table, especially those of us who've known what it means to be an outcast, to be rejected, to feel alone. There's no dress code. (laughs) There's no preferential pew. Most important, the feast we share at this table is truly over the top, grace abundant beyond our comprehension, beyond our measure. Now to be sure, this is a special meal, but it's not caviar, not porterhouse, not champagne. Simple bread and wine. But in these most basic foods, in bread and wine, we're brought into the closest relationship with our God, in and with and through his son Jesus. In every sense of the term, we're bound together as disciples. We're formed in faith, not in those pews, but at this table. It's the central act of our worship. It's what defines us, marks us as Christians. And to the popular question, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would have us share a meal with him at a table. But there's one more thing Jesus reminds us of. Coming to this table carries with it responsibility. And just as he is our host here, we are sent from this table to be hosts in our community to those in need of food, of medical care, of justice, to those in need of relief from the violence of guns, to those in need of jobs, housing and clothing, and to those now approaching the end of their years. The very banquet which we will share together, the very banquet to which we've been invited is the invitation you are now invited to share as we leave this service, exit through those doors. And as we do, Jesus promises us, just as he did in today's parable, that we will be blessed in sharing the resurrection.